Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest TeachNet podcast. Last week, I attended the Digital Education Conference in SETU in Watford. It was their inaugural conference, and it was a fantastic event. There was lots of discussion around AI and assessment. And today I am joined by two of the presenters from that conference, Jenny O'Connor, who is a lecturer in SETU, and Arna Farrell, who is working in Dublin City University. So we're going to chat about assessment challenges and opportunities in the context of AI and specifically generative AI. So without further ado, I am going to ask Jenny to introduce herself. Hi, Michael. Yeah, I teach um, in across three different schools at the moment in SETU. Mainly my home is in the Department of Arts and I teach English students there on the arts programme. And I also teach different cohorts of students, health promotion students and public health students, um, as well as applied computing students as well in two other schools. So I've been having great fun with Gen AI across various different modules in recent months. Perfect. And we've come to that. And as I said, I had the privilege of hearing you present your paper at the conference last week. And Orna, Orna Farrell, I know her of old DCU. Orna, will you introduce yourself? And you gave a keynote, a brilliant keynote at the conference last week. Thanks, Michael. Delighted to be here. And thank you very much for the invitation. So, yeah, I'm Dr. Orna Farrell. I'm an Associate Professor of Digital Education in DCU based in the Faculty of Education, which is called the Institute of Education, the largest faculty of education in Ireland. And our main focus is obviously education, but teacher education is a strong focus as well as education in all settings and all levels. Brilliant. So look, we're going to learn more as we go through, but I'm going to start with, I suppose, the most obvious question. And it was one I heard right across the two days down in Watford. What impact is Gen AI having on your assessment practices And Jenny, I'm going to start with you specifically in the context of student essays, because I know you have been traditionally using that mode of assessment over many years. Yeah, so I I use lots of different modes of assessment across the modules that I teach. But for the first year module, um, which was the basis of my talk, this was the main challenge because this is a module that tries to help students to transition from second level writing to third level writing. And we also try to get them to engage in close reading as well as kind of elevating their critical faculties to their critical thinking abilities. So a lot of the work that we would have done traditionally on that module would have been text based work. We would have got them to write short pieces and then kind of build up to a final essay. And I think it was important to retain some of those skills, you know, even with the advent of Gen AI. So it did have a substantial impact, though, because obviously, you know, a student can go to ChatGPT 3.5 or ChatGPT 4 and download a pretty decent essay. And so I had to figure out, well, how am I going to actually integrate Gen AI into my module instead of pretending that it doesn't exist and putting my hand over my ears and kind of screaming into the void. So I actually tried to get the students to use it and then also to kind of try to articulate in reflection documents how they felt it worked for them. So how did they hone it? How did they get it to do what they wanted it to do? And also, you know, what did they think of what it produced? So I was trying to get them to think critically about the way in which Gen AI can do some of this work, because it's foolish to think that they're not going to be using this once they leave college. So we do have a remit that involves trying to prepare them for that workplace as well. But we want them to be able to still 
differentiate between good and bad information. And so that was where I felt it was important to change my strategy. Very good. And there's some interesting points there, I'm sure, that Orna will pick up on. Orna, I know you're teaching across a range of programmes as well. So how are you tackling GenAI and, I suppose, artificial intelligence in general in your classes? I suppose, like many people, I started getting interested in AI last year. I mean, I'd read a bit about it before. I'd read some of the UNESCO stuff on AI from a couple of years ago and heard at the kind of digital education conferences, people talking around some of the possibilities. So I wasn't totally new to it, but I do think the new Gen AI tools are quite different and significantly different. So I started experimenting about this time last year. I'm very interested in assessment and assessment design. So I started experimenting with ChatGPT and putting in different assessment briefs from my own modules, from my own programs, and just actually kind of analyzing the outputs, collecting them, started sharing on Twitter what I was doing, getting into some very interesting discussions with people and colleagues, and then kind of organically just started talking to my students that I was teaching at the particular time. I teach across three or four programs, uh, two undergrad, one master's and one doctoral program about what I was doing. And the students were really curious as well. Many of them hadn't really heard about it or had heard news stories about it, but not actually tried it out yet or anything. So we began to experiment together. I learned a lot from their experimentation. Often they'd come along saying, oh, I had a look at this. I tried this. You know, in one particular module, we were it's a reflective practice module. So around professional teaching practice, we started experimenting with writing learning outcomes, lesson plans schemes of work, things like that. And we were staggered by how good the results were. So uh, really last year, it was very much organic experimentation. Students started integrating it into their own practice. They asked me, could they integrate it into their assessment? I let them, even though at that time there was a kind of a policy vacuum in the university. The university really, really wasn't sure what to do at that point. So I was treading on dangerous ground, but across all the different programs I worked on, the students integrated in lots of different ways. Some people generated videos, generated text images that they integrated into their assessment. One student built their own chatbot, which I thought right. was amazing. So that gives you a flavor of where I was Yeah, going. no, no, that, that's really interesting. And I think it's interesting in both institutions. And we'll, we'll come back to the overarching policies and that at the end of the podcast. But it's interesting in both of your settings, you are embracing it. Um, you're not burying your head in the sand and you are engaging with your students. Now, one of the issues that I have been reading a lot about and I heard quite a bit of again at the DEC conference was issues like plagiarism and establishing trust with students. So again, Jenny, I know this is something that you're using it with them in the classrooms. So you might say a few words about that. Yeah, it was important to me at the start that we would have very open conversations about what academic integrity now means, because that was a new term to those students. And to kind of establish rules around how we should be able to use it and how we should not use it, maybe. And so this was a very open chat. And it was interesting to me that I had a group of probably around 90 students, you know, in those classes. And I asked the broad question, you know, how many people have used a Gen AI tool to date? And very few people put up their hands. Now, you know, I said, this is not a trick question. <laughs> There's going to be no repercussions for anybody who's used it. I have used it myself. This is just a general chat. 
But still, very few people actually put up their hands. And one person said to me, I don't know what you're talking about. I actually don't have a clue what you're on about. And so we were starting from, you know, a baseline where students weren't necessarily familiar with this. And I said, right, you know, that's no problem, but we need to get on board the bus here. So we're going to actually use this and we're going to tinker around with it. We'll experiment with it. And I would have had quite a detailed syllabus document at the beginning of the semester that would have documented everything about the module that students needed to know, including all of their assessments and all of their marking schemes. Now, for students at the beginning of the semester, that's a little bit overwhelming, I'm aware. But I did say to them, look, this is a working document. This is something that you don't download at the beginning of the semester and then refer to it in December. Instead, you look at the one that's online. And what that did was it enabled us to amend assignment briefs as we went along. If students had a question that maybe maybe got me thinking and I thought, yeah, actually, that this would be a better way to do this. And so students felt as though they had some kind of input into the way that we were going, they were going to be assessed. And they also knew that I was trying to do something that was experimental, that there was not necessarily clear rules for the way that we should do this and that we were going to establish those rules as we went along. Yeah, that's really interesting. I like that idea of the flexible and evolving approach. I, I know, particularly in some other work we do in the schools, this comes up all the time at the ministry level, even at the Department of Education level across Europe, is what are people doing? And the French Ministry of Education, that's what they're doing. They're of an evolving policy. So it's really interesting. Orna, how are you dealing with that? I know there are guidelines, but, the, you know, this academic integrity, plagiarism, student trust, and you're primarily working with people who are going to end up teaching and going to be working with young people at some stage in their careers. That actually is the thing that gives me pause, Michael, is because they will encounter the same problems that I'm encountering in their practice. So for me, I felt it was very important to have discussion with them about that because these challenges are going to be the same at secondary in particular, probably the latter half of primary as well, because one of my daughters, who's 11 now, but when she was 10 at the time, she was quite competently having very interesting conversations with ChatGPT. So this is a problem at all levels of the education system, and, and that is really, Absolutely. and it's going nowhere. So one of the things I have done um, on, an, on an individual level is, is have what I call kind of critical discussions about ethical use of AI tools. And we all need to collectively develop our critical AI literacy as part of our digital competencies. And I, I mean that about us, too, because one of my pieces of work is I'm doing a large scale study of DCU staff and student practice and attitudes to, to Gen AI. And I'm noticing huge variation. Now, I've completed the staff data collection. I haven't done the student one yet, but the range of staff awareness is very varied, going from people who are building chatbots, you know, and love it and are really into it and doing all sorts of cool and interesting creative people to people who think the world is ending. And then those in the middle, they're like, yeah, I've heard about this. I'm a bit worried about it, but I haven't tried it yet. Those are the ones I worry about because really it's, it has such huge implications for assessment. Now, it has other implications for teaching and learning, but it's radically going to transform assessment. And people really need to figure it out. On an institutional level, DCU has been very proactive. We have an updated academic integrity policy which I've gone through with all my different student groups to make sure they understand what it actually means. And if the choice is actually at the individual lecturer level, we, we can decide whether students are permitted or not permitted to use Gen AI in their assessment. So I think that's quite, you know, it's fine for now. And then also we've been guided by the NAME QQI national guidelines, also 
very responsive, very good, clear guidelines done quickly. And I, and I actually think HE as a sector has done really well on this issue by comparison to other parts of the education system in Ireland. I, I would echo that completely. I, I think the material that has been produced by QQI and the some of the webinars that they organised earlier in the year were just fantastic. I suppose just going back to that whole idea of the various stages, let's call it, of where staff are at in all of the institutions, ultimately we want them to be competent and confident to use these tools in their own discipline. But I don't think ignorance is an option. And I think, you know, that both of you are showing that, you know, this is a one way that you can open the conversation with your students, which I think is what I'm reading in other jurisdictions as well. I suppose one of the things I'm thinking about, and you've both touched on it, and we're looking at assessment today. I mean, these tools are here and we all know that when this time last year, if we were having this conversation, we would all be newbies to ChatGPT 3.5. But the amount of tools that have come in over the last 12, 13 months has been quite frightening. And what do you see? And I might start with you, Arna, this time. What do you see as the role for these tools in you know, teaching, learning, and particularly assessment now and going forward? It could turn into an arms race, Michael, because the detection tools are versions behind the, the tools themselves. So a detection is actually not a solution. I think we're just going to have to integrate them and lean in and realise that they are now part of the educational ecosystem and have guidelines about what's acceptable and what's not acceptable in terms of their use, because they're only getting better. They're only getting more diverse and the outputs are improving. I do think that Sarah Elaine Eaton, who's a really interesting scholar from Canada, her idea of a post-plagiarism world, I think that's very likely because it's very hard to prove plagiarism now. So we're going to have to redefine what that means in the context of education. Also, I think her idea of hybrid human AI writing, that is already happening. Recently, I was involved in a special issue on Gen AI in the Irish Journal of Technology Enhanced Learning. And we permitted authors to do exactly that, to do hybrid human writing with AI and to reflect on the process and what they learned. And there was huge learning in in that for both us, the editors, and and also the authors themselves. Uh, But I think that's very likely. I mean, talking to colleagues, people are using ChatGPT in particular, but all the different tools, hugely in research in particular, like the research potential is massive uh, from using Microsoft Word's new AI plugin to transcribe an audio or video file. That's transformative. I agree with you. And I think the whole area of detection, you know, even the language, I was never very comfortable with it myself. And I think this idea of a post-plagiarism world is a very interesting idea. And those references there that you mentioned, we put those in the chat notes. But I'm going to go to Jenny as well, just on that one. Where do you see it going? And I know you're taking proactive action, but it's it, it's increasing your workload. We were chatting about this. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've got a, a large group of first years and one of the ways that I was hoping that they would use it for their final essays was to, you know, go through their essays for spelling, grammar, punctuation errors, for structure, that kind of thing. And and actually, I'm just coming to the end of that batch of corrections now. I'm exhausted. And uh, only one student clearly showed me that she did it in that way. And so I said, you know, you can use it for this. You just need to document the process. Show me, give me a link to your chat history or provide screenshots, whatever you want, but I want to see it. And so I could see really clearly this student has dyslexia. And so she was able to use it 
for that purpose. And it was fantastic. So it yeah. made it much, you know, much clearer for me as a reader. And it obviously was a great help for her, a great tool for her. Unfortunately, there are several students that I now have on a list that I am going to have to meet now because they used it, you know, without having come to class and having had those discussions around trust, around academic integrity, and they've mm-hmm. just used it wholesale. And so we have, and it's clear, not just from, you know, the, the detection tool side of things, which as Orna was saying, you know, this might be our last time where we can kind of even semi rely on that. I don't think from here on in, it's going to be worth much. But at the moment, it's at least an indicator so that we can talk to the student. But some of them have literally just taken information wholesale from elsewhere. And so that's, you know, that's an extra bit of stuff that I now have to do. I mean, I have to go and organize all these kind of semi, they're not even formal chats, they're kind of informal chats with students. But these kind of, you know, have to set up Zoom links and I have to meet them and we have to have this discussion. And then I have to also try and figure out, well, does that mean that the student was unaware of what they were doing? Were they, does that mean they get another chance? Does that mean I now have to correct another whole batch of assignments? You know, there's a, there's huge implications for all of this in terms of the workload. And I think that's something that management probably need to really be considering as well. I know Orna has something to say on that because we chatted on this recently. And I know in the DCU lines policy, there's a lovely phrase, moderate use of AI. What are your thoughts on this and particularly that extra workload? I think it's just not feasible. And I think it's a poor use of Jenny's time and our time. Not that helping students understand plagiarism, I think that's a good yeah. use of our time. Yeah, absolutely. But reassessing and having to figure things out because they've crossed this line is just not a good use of time. And, you know, there's a reason we used to use certain assessments because they were efficient from both a time and cost point of view. But what Gen AI has done is actually undermine that value now for us. So, you know, maybe it's time to, to move on from some of those assessments. I also think the detection tools are not reliable, Jenny. They are throwing up a lot of false positives and causing a lot of problems in court cases in the States. So I wouldn't be using them at all, actually, at the moment. And just to connect that to your point of trust and distrust, those tools create a culture of distrust and surveillance, just as, you know, proctoring does. And they would not align with my beliefs about what education is for at all. So I'd be very hesitant about going down that direction. That's if they even worked. I mean, there's been some very good research recently by colleagues in ENAI, and they went and tried out the current kind of top 20 detection tools, and they were, results were terrible. You're talking about, you know, universities paying particular companies, I won't name them, like huge chunks of money for these detection tools, which no longer work. I'm reminded of that. I mean, I used to manage the master's program for teachers in Hibernia College, and I still remember one of my colleagues informing me that a student had engaged in plagiarism. And this poor person was summoned and it was all very officious. And I remember, I won't name the product either, it's used at widespread. And I remember going through with the document with the poor student and We didn't have the foresight back then to maybe have a chat with them first before we had this formal event. And it was terrible. But anyway, I mean, I think what I'm hearing, and I'm going to finish because I know time is going to beat us. What I'm really hearing, I'm hearing a couple of things. I think, first of all, in terms of staff and students, there's a need for digital literacy around and critical literacy and AI literacy, whatever literacies you want to use. I think it is multiple literacies around what these tools can do and how they can be used and 
again, going back to both of you, we need to just bring them into the classroom and have a chat. That's one thing. The second thing, though, is that the tried and trusted assessment modes that we've had for many years, essays, also MCQs, etc., are really struggling with this tool. And that is going to require us to rethink assessment. But I think that's probably too much to ask individual staff to do. It should be done more collectively at the institutional level. There needs to be a rethink by institutions around time and other supports that you can have. I mean, Arna has just mentioned the the tools. Uh, Damien Raftery actually gave a brilliant paper at the DEC conference as well on doing an analysis of some of these tools. So like, there's a lot of work going on. But I just wonder, for a final word, what are your thoughts on the future and where would you like it to go? And I'll start with you, Jenny, and then I'll finish with Orna. Yeah, I suppose something that I didn't say about that module was that I'm teaching on in first year is that what we decided to do was also have regular in-class tasks. I don't even want to call them assessments because the students got marks for coming along and giving stuff a go. And it was very much about the process of learning and about the process of grappling with some difficult texts and, you know, having a stab at maybe taking information from one place and applying it to something else. And so I think going forward, it's great to be able to do those kinds of things. However, I think nobody has really provided a solution to me around how you manage very large groups when you don't have a teaching assistant, let's say, or somebody else to support you around marking. And so like a lot of that engagement also meant, you know, a lot of feedback on my part. And then to have some kind of piece that like I can't sit down with every student and kind of orally examine them at the end of the semester to ensure that, you know, some of the stuff that we've discussed has actually gone in. So I think it is important for us to figure out new ways, as you said, Michael, to kind of do so collectively. And I think, you know, it's been such a help to me that I've been involved with lots of different networks where we can pool resources, where we can kind of, you know, share ideas and bounce things off one another, because that's how I've kind of learned as I've gone along. And it's still all evolving. So, you know, a lot of the stuff that I did this semester, I won't be repeating that. I'll be doing new things again next semester, you know. That's great. I think I'm I'm a huge fan of peer learning. I think in all of this, it would just have to keep peer learning. If you think you can go and do a course on whatever platform, you're not going to get it. Orna, what are your thoughts? Well, on the course, the course is already out of date. And so so this is the thing with doing any professional learning resources around this. You press publish and it's already gone. It's It's too fast moving, which is part of the challenge for people. But on assessment, yeah, I think like institutions have huge work ahead. They're going to is radical transformation. I mean, people thought it talked about that with the pandemic. This is bigger because our ideas about knowledge and assessment are really challenged. The knowledge piece, those traditional assessments that hang around around the kind of lower order skills of, of remember and understand. So those kind of baseline knowledge, it's no longer going to be possible to assess them by continuous assessment or summative continuous assessment. So then you have a choice. If that knowledge is important, we're probably going to need to do an exam, not a multiple choice exam, because an AI can do that for you. Probably an old school sit in an exam hall. But that, again, has implications for some disciplines that might be very important. The other thing is, if it's not that important for your discipline, but you still want to check that they're understanding that content, just do it by formative assessment and use the summative for higher order skills like analyze, 
all those higher order ones on blooms. Even understanding that we have a ways to go there, because even when I started talking about this with colleagues, I noticed that it finally landed. Because before they were kind of like panic. Oh, God. But actually, when you started thinking about it like that, okay, if we just assume that the students are going to know this, these facts, or we're going to check in a formative way, a bit like Jenny's tasks in class. Okay, they've got that basic knowledge. That's perfect. And we assess the higher order skills of application analysis instead, which we should be doing at university level. So I, I think that's where it's going. I think institutions have a lot of money and time to put into this that they may not have, but they're going to have to find. I agree. And I'm going to finish there. And I think it goes back to something, Orna, that you said at the very beginning. I mean, this idea has been growing for many years now and across, particularly in higher ed and in further education, slowly growing in secondary schools is the idea of teaching, learning and assessment design. And I think design is the key bit. And both of you are actively doing that. You're thinking about the learning outcomes. You're thinking about the types of activities that you're asking students to do. And you are designing for your context. And I think that's great, but you both are pioneers. And what we need next is a little bit more collective thinking and sharing by institutions to help other colleagues and help you so that you're not spending all your time correcting these assessments. So I want to thank you sincerely for making time to join us on the TeachNet podcast. And I would love to go back and talk to you more when you've tried out some more things. So thank you both. Thanks, Michael. Michael.